Welcome to the Tooth or Dare podcast with Irene and Katrina. The only dental podcast to bring you a Canadian RDH and an American RDH. These ladies bring you mic-dropping interviews with your favorite social media peeps and epic people doing amazing things in dentistry. Now let's put our overgloves together for Tooth Life Irene and Katrina the Wine Genist. are you today welcome back to another episode of the oh. tooth or dare podcast yes. peeps yes so how exciting. are you friend i'm great i'm great how are you oh you know just living my best life oh, <laughs> I, love, good. I love how you do a dance every time i say that because i get excited you it's get like, like thumbs uppy you're I like really... elaine you're like <laughs> elaine seinfeld <laughs> doing her kicking with her thumbs. <laughs> except i'm a much better dancer uh, oh, than sure. Elaine, you jazzercise a lot so you probably have like choreography in your head i do at all times 100 i could break out into song and dance 100 yeah. yeah totally yeah. How how are you? How's your how's your Monday? This is a this is a quick <sighs> quick record and it's launch a, same a, day. It's the same quickie, day situation. Quickie quick quick quickie. Um, you know, I'm good. It was Mother's Day yesterday. And, and how are you? Good good yeah. I had um Stephen came over the Pinot Gaggio came over and we had um chocolate chip pancakes and okay is that just, what you were eating when I when I called you? Yes. Well, the, okay. I was putting it to so you know how they have like charcuterie boards. Like cheese yes. and meats and like nut items yeah. and whatever. I'm, so I I'm did well aware. nut items. Yeah. So I did a um, <laughs> nut items. So what I did was I did a pancake charcuterie board. So oh, I did regular so like a, make your own pancake. It was like all of a, the raw ingredients. Just like a haberdashery of accoutrements around consuming mm-hmm. pancakes. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I just okay. Said. So it was like regular pancakes and then chocolate chip pancakes and then sausage and like fruit items displayed on a beautiful board of sorts. And so that's what I was. So when you called me, that's what I was doing. I was building my pancake charcuterie board. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Yes. And you were okay? You felt okay yesterday being Mama's Day? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those. This is the second Mother's Day without her. And luckily she hated Mother's Day. She thought it was like just kind of like any other day she wasn't one of those moms that was like yes flowers yes do things for me like she she just thought it was any other day so that does help a little bit but you know it is hard for anybody out there who's listening who has lost their mother um you know those days are hard you know walking through the aisles of the grocery store and seeing the um you know cards and and you know reading some of them and knowing that you can't send that to your mom um so it's you know it's it's hard but also um, you know, it's a beautiful way to celebrate moms who are here and, and, and not here. And, you know, moms who have, you know, lost rainbow babies and, you know, people who are estranged from their mothers and people who have mothers who are like a mother to them, but they're not actually their birth mother and to dog yeah. moms and to cat moms. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's so much around that dynamic maternal energy and, um, and it was beautiful because there are so many people who are in a relatively same boat as me. And, and so, um, you know, their kindness was huge. And, of course, talking to you yesterday was so sweet. And I got to e-meet your mom. She's so Aww, sweet. She's adorable. Yeah. I love her. Well, and- my mom knows that I have a new podcast co-host. Ah. She listens to me on the radio. 
On the radio. <laughs> on the radio. <laughs> yeah. She listens to me on the radio. Because she li- she'll listen in her car. It'll, like, sync to her car, so she'll play it in her car. So I'm, I'm on the radio. Oh, man. And she kept asking, like, who's this new girl that is on your podcast? So then yesterday I went over to see my mama. And I was like, you know what? Why don't I share my mama with you today? And oh, that was she so was, special. She was so cute. Like she tried. To, I told her that your mom had passed away, and she like tried to be super strong. And as soon as I hung up the phone, she started crying. Oh, she was in oh, tears. Sweet love. And she oh. was like, it must be so hard for her because my grandmother died a few years ago. Mm. Her mom, mm-hmm. and she just started bawling. And she's like, I miss my mom every single day. Yeah. And I think about her every single day. And she's like, I'm so sorry for your friend. And I'm like, well, why didn't you say this to her when she was on the phone? And she's like, she's like, I don't know. She's just trying to keep it together. She's just trying to keep it cool for you. But then she was bawling for like a few minutes afterwards. And I wish I could have given her a hug, but I'm trying to like still maintain a social distance from them. And I like gave her air hugs. But anyways, my mom sends you love. That's so sweet. Moms are the best. What did you do with your mom? You guys, did you guys have... Canadian food items or anything no no we didn't we just went over there for a little bit um hung out brought some flowers and a card and just chit-chatted for a little bit and then she made this like big vat of Romanian soup and every time we go over there she just she's like you take it home and you put it in your freezer like yeah we did so we took a bag of soup home and we put it in the freezer Yeah. yeah so that was it and then we went and saw Chris's mom um, oh. And we brought her Chinese food because that's what she likes. So we had wow. Chinese food uh, sitting at a table with, at a social distance from one another. Yes, a hockey stick and, length yeah. apart. So you just held hockey sticks. Hockey and stick ate or three or three ducks or three ducks, three Canada geese <laughs> in a row. Yeah, that's that's six feet apparently, according to our signs oh. at all of our beaches here. So oh, yeah, that's funny. So we have oh. a cool episode that we're airing, and you don't know which one i love that you never know i never know what are, we, what are we doing today this is yeah. exciting it's as much um, a surprise for me as it is for the rest of yeah the so i will share with you and everyone what the episode is and then you're gonna remember a little bit about this episode and i have a feeling your reaction is gonna be oh shit that's today so it's a non-sponsored unsponsored episode um, we interviewed Dr. Alan Mead oh, a few shit. weeks ago. <laughs> yes. That's today? Why didn't you give me a day's warning? <laughs> Damn it. Because I knew that I could, if I did, it would have been like, you oh. would have convinced me to like push it to September. <laughs> oh, God. So right. I don't want to give it away to everyone why <laughs> Katrina is saying, oh, shit. Uh, you'll have to listen to the very end when we do our rock, paper, scissors um, because the dare, I'll just spoiler it, that there is a dare and the dare is something that goes against Katrina's general life and well-being. Basically, my entire vitality. <laughs> Your entire vitality. Um, you have to oh. not do. So, okay. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, don't say anymore. Let I won't people say. listen to the very end um, and you're thinking about it. So, uh, yeah. We'll talk about it a little bit more at the at the outro, how we're going to do this. But that's what our, our episode is with Dr. Alan Mead, who has a podcast himself with his partner in crime, Jason Lipscomb. And their podcast is called the Dental Hacks Podcast. They have Dental Hacks Dailies. They have Dental Hacks Shorts. They've got all, it's like a well-oiled machine of podcasts that they release almost every single day. 
and he's the founder of Voices of Dentistry, which is a conference for podcasters, which we got to go to this year, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. And we recorded a bunch of episodes and we got to meet a whole bunch of cool people and there was a lot of fun social activities. Um, that was cool. That was in, in your hometown in, yes. in Arizona. Yes. Like a hop, AZ. skip, and a, a hop, skip, and a jump from where you live, too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like a 12-minute drive from my house, which was fantastic. And it's so weird to think about because this was the end of January. Yeah. And, like, coronavirus was, like, kind of a thing. Like, we yeah. – I mean, it wasn't the thing that it is now, but it kind of was it wasn't a, a – It wasn't a huge thing in North America yet. Not not quite. But yeah, it wasn't so. in China. Yes, it was. So it yeah. just interesting. It was like, for me, it was one of my last big like dental gathering items before it this was, all went I think cry. it was my last gathering because everything after that got canceled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like some postponement and then the postponement went to cancel. And mm-hmm. it was, I haven't been on a plane, I think, since then. Hmm. Isn't that weird? It is. It is weird. It feels weird to me. You and being I know... on the plane was weird. Do you even remember? Like you almost missed your flight and then I had to FedEx you a bunch of clothing and it was yeah. like a whole, there was a whole production around that. Yeah. Yeah. I left yeah. my stuff at the hotel in my drawer and we were, we were with a recording with Aaron Elliott. Yeah. And I thought that my flight was at a different time, but they had moved my flight and it was just a hot mess. I remember getting to the airport and the gate was already closed. Oh my gosh. You're the that lady, person. The lady was like, I don't know. I don't even remember what I said to her, but I said something to her that, oh, we had the same birthday. The girl okay. looked at my thing. <laughs> the, the girl at the gate or at the ticket counter where the bags get or scanned and, and shipped off to the plane. She looked at my passport and she was like, oh, we have the same birthday. And I like convinced her that this was meant to be. And that it was like a sign that she needed to help me because we share the same birthday. And it was the same year too. Like same day, same year. That's crazy. Like what are the chances of that? So she was like, okay, fine. So she got me on the plane, but then my bag just never made it. Yeah. And then I also forgot clothes at the hotel. And then the hotel items. So I went home like empty handed. Hot mess. Yeah, hot mess. hot mess express, as Katrina yeah. would say. It. Yep, yep. So yeah. this episode's really cool. Um, it's very serious. It's unlike some of the episodes that we normally share with you. Um, Dr. Alan Mead shares his story and rehabilitation story um, with prescription drugs that he started off with an addiction of alcohol, and then it extended into some pretty strong and heavy drugs. I think at one point he even said that. Um, he was taking so much that it was like at close to the lethal limit. Mm-hmm. So he was like drawing that fine line between death and high. Yeah. Um, so he went pretty deep. Yeah, he sure did. He sure did. Yeah. It's it's like um, a a ask Alice ask ask Alan ask Alan. Yeah. A a ask Alan because we could ask yeah. him anything, right? Yeah, he was very, very open, and I asked some questions that after listening back, I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. But he said you could. He said we could ask whatever we wanted, book. though. That was yeah. really um, what a what a gift, and especially now, I don't know if you've started to see a lot of these, but on Facebook, it seems like every day another dentist has taken their life um, with the challenges around um, opening back up a practice during these times and the uncertainty around it. Really tragic. Um, I just saw two over the weekend. And so this is a really timely piece because I think it's important for us to remember, even as hygienists, that our doctors are business owners and and we do need to be mindful of how stressful that is for them. And that with that stress that they carry, that um, they can uh, adapt some of these coping, coping mechanisms and 
Um, and it, it can wreak havoc for them. And, and yeah. so, um, you know, my heart, uh, goes out to the families, uh, and, and employees and loved ones of, of the doctors who have already lost their lives due to a lot of this, you know, stress and, 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 um, angst. And, you know, we hope that this provides some, or sheds some light and some guidance yeah. about how, what's it like in Arizona and now are people back to work yes. for elective dentistry? Oh no, people like are hygiene? like, full-blown like back to work full-blown back to work yeah and what does that look like on the like do you even know like on the pp side on the scheduling side like is everyone full gown mask shield n95 most are the problem is you know with the cdc osha osap all of these unfortunately none of them are listed as requirements they're listed as guidelines and so that of course does not provide a lot of clarity for us and then um we're we're permitted to open as long as we have you know two weeks supply of ppe but that's again based on whatever your doctor has decided is appropriate ppe in your practice and so is that what's causing all of this like facebook craziness between hygienists and dentists like i look at some of these facebook groups and yeah, I, I like silently read in the background, but yeah. I, I see there's this tension between hygienists and dentists. And is that what it's stemming? Yeah, from, yeah. I think the major layers are one, doctors want to open their practices back up because they're businesses and they are ready to get back up and moving. And hygienists, many of them feel as though they're kind of like the guinea pigs because we just don't have a lot of empirical data about what those aerosols mean for us and are we putting our patients at risk because SARS-CoV-2 lives in the air for up to three hours and so the next patient that walks in could run into challenges and we just don't have empirical and we you know we have bloodborne pathogen information we understand you know HIV we understand hep B hep C all of those um what we're really looking at are these aerosols and the the closest that we have looked at is tuberculosis or tuberculin and again we just we don't know and so a lot of hygienists feel like they are guinea pigs like we're being kind of tossed back into this i'll say you know my doctor or my, my brother my doctor my brother works as a an engineer a computer science engineer he's not even going back into the office in a cubicle setting until mid-june yet hygienists that are exposed to these aerosols are working in these situations where we don't know if people are asymptomatic and so does that not to me that means that like if i were in that situation and i'm not in that situation because we are not able to open here in the province of ontario yet like you have your own license and you went to school and you can make your own decisions so Mm -hmm. what like what I'm not understanding is like why are we going to social media uh, to talk to people that are all in different situations in every state like every state is different right like why not just just don't go like if that if you don't feel comfortable about it like don't need to like advertise it to the entire world saying bad things just just say I'm not ready to go back. And if you want me to work for you, then you're going to have to wait until I'm ready to go back. Yeah, the I think 100% I agree with you. Is that just me being think... stronger in my own confidence and my own way of like handling business situations? Because in the end, it's a business for us too as hygienists. But like, just don't go back. 
Yeah. The problem is this. Hygienists cannot file for unemployment if their office is back up and running and they're just choosing not to go back to work. I see. So they aren't going to be making any unemployment, which is one of the layers of the challenge. Uh, The other side of this that I do agree with, and I, I would love to see a movement in this, is that we... Most hygienists go onto a social media platform. I just saw it the other day, and a hygienist posted, my doctor wants me to return to work on May 15th. Should I go? And everyone started weighing in on yes, no, yes, no. But every state is different, not just from a governmental standpoint, but every state is different from a, are we critical? Are we, you know, what what level risk are we based on the cases? cases Exactly. Right. And that's the thing that a lot of hygienists I don't know are looking at. The ADA has a beautiful resource where you can actually select your state and it will tell you what your your threat level is, the cases, and what your individual state governor has said, what responses from the state board of dental examiners or state board of dentistry have said. And so really that's the resource. You need to be going on and looking at your own individual state. But um, you know, a lot of times hygienists feel like at the end of the day, if they go to their doctor and they say, this is the PPE that I need to feel comfortable, um, doctors are looking at that and going, well, how much does it cost to purchase all this PPE? And then now we're the drama hygienists again, because we, you know, we want this, although, you know, we're putting ourselves in harm's way to help build out the doctor's business. That's how a lot of people are seeing it. And so, We're not we're not coming together. I think what's happening is there's so there's so much splitting happening. Hygienists are are splitting even with our own, within our own industry. Hygienists yeah. and doctors are not agreeing, um, and it, it's creating a lot of challenges. And I think at the end of the day, the estimate right now is anywhere between twenty to twenty five percent of dental practices will not survive this. Yeah. They just won't. And I think, uh, and this is just in my thought, my opinion uh, is that the practices that are doing the right thing. The practices that are looking at the data, not trying to find the cheapest counterfeit KN95s, and the, you know the ones that yeah. are doing the right thing, gathering the information. The doctor, you know, I, I just uh, read a poll on RDH Mag the other day. Sixty percent of hygienists reported they had not heard from their doctor once the doors had closed in their practices. Hmm. So you know, for us, you know, now do you think that's by choice or by? by circumstance the doctor didn't even know what to say oh i'm, I'm sure there were many layers to that i think yeah. in, in dentistry we don't get leadership training we don't get communication training we don't get business no. training we don't get any no. of the you know the stuff that we actually need to keep our heads above water and to be rational and to utilize clinical judgment in a professional arena we don't get training on that and so absolutely that we look to our doctors as you know business business owners clinicians you know leaders in the practice they the ones that make decisions don't get as much training on that stuff absolutely either. and that's exactly they don't it. come out of dental school with an mba knowing no. how to run a practice like no. they, they they barely do four or five crowns exactly like they're they're just as weak in those aspects of running a business as we are absolutely and and i think some empathy around that is what i'm really excited about particularly with the the upcoming episode that we have because I think sometimes our our doctors, I mean, they they wear that strength like PPE. You know, on the outside, yeah. you you know, it's this hard shell of nope. This is how we're going to run the business. This is how this is going to go. And don't, I don't know why I'm using that voice for doctors, but, <laughs> you know. But you know, they but on the inside, they are fearful. They're scared. You yeah. own businesses. You know what that's like. I own businesses. Yeah. I know. I mean, how many how many contracts closed or canceled or right. are up in the air right now and so and all those things are really scary and if 
if we can create a better dynamic, a better conversation with our doctors where we're being supportive instead of um, making things more difficult because the two doctors that I am aware of over the weekend who who um, committed suicide, uh, both of them had shared insights with their family members or had written um, in their own you know personal way that the stresses of you know managing a team and making sure everybody was safe and happy and healthy uh, ultimately led to them losing their lives. And so that's it's it's really important for us to acknowledge that and know that this is a very real thing. Um, my sister, who's a doctor, and her fiance, we run a Zoom call yesterday with the whole family, and they said it, and it, it rings true. Coronavirus is not the only disease that's out there right now. It seems to be the one that we're focusing on, but it's not the only one. People are still out there um, with mental disease, mental disorders. People are out there with chronic diseases. People are managing cancer. People are yeah. you know, still getting organ transplants. They're still you know, getting uh, dialysis done. I mean, there's still other diseases that are out there, and we uh, chose this profession to be a part of that. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we need to really, as much as we can, wrap our arms around um, the dental community, our patients, and, and be the leaders yeah. that we, we need to be. It's, it's hard to see all of this stuff on. It's it more, is. I see it more so on Facebook because you've got more opportunity to share in a group than you do on yes. Instagram. Yes. Um, but it's, it's hard to see all of this stuff. And it's hard to feel like, um, like a lot of hygienists feel divided now. Yeah. Whereas pre-COVID, we were we were all in it together. We were all a team. We were very much like ADHA mm-hmm. says tribe. Mm-hmm. And now I feel mm-hmm. like there's this split between us, the split of the return to workers and the, the non-return to workers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I don't know, I feel like it's almost polluting our minds a little bit I to agree. see all of this stuff. So um, someone said to me many, many years ago uh, when I was you know, starting my speaking career, um, and I said, I asked for advice, like, you know, how, how do you get companies to want to work with you? Um, and this person said to me, just be easy to work with. Um, be kind, be understanding. Uh, if you don't like something, come up with a solution as opposed to just adding to the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that rings kind of true here too, like be easy to work with. And it doesn't mean that you agree and you're giving in, but maybe um, negotiate it a little bit. So. Anyways, let's, before we get too deep into the... That was really beautiful. I don't know if you can hear yeah. my, do- my dogs in the back. I'm like, yes, yes, go ahead. <laughs> it it yeah. is, it is. Be easy to work with. Be a part of the team. Be a part of the yeah. solution, not the problem. And, and let's yeah. come together and let's yeah. do it. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so uh, without further postponing this episode, here is the episode with Dr. Alan Mead. Enjoy, peeps. Enjoy. All right, here we go. Clearing the throat again. Okay. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Tooth or Dare podcast with Irene and Katrina. What's up, girlfriend? I feel like we've done this already. I don't know why. (laughs) I'm so good. How are you? (laughs) We may have. You might have to listen to the end of the episode where the bloopers is so that you can see why Katrina said that. It's going to be righteous. The bloopers are going to be great. I think the bloopers of this episode are going to be the best bloopers ever. I think so. I think the bloopers are going to be the best bloopers, and then the content is going to be the most serious. We have, it's a dichotomy of sorts. Right, of sorts. Like, of sorts. I like it. We, we have a guest today. Stoked. We have a guest today that you've heard on the podcast before. You've heard me on their podcast before. You know him from the Dental Hacks podcast. His name is Dr. Alan Mead, a.k.a. the Scat Man. 
Um, he runs a really cool tight ship called Voices of Dentistry. Not really a that's tight right, ship. It's kind of a loose right. ship. It's actually the loose, loosest ship of ships one I was going to say, you were clear, clearly saying that ironically at that point. Yeah. 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 I feel, you, feel, you feel the irony there, man? Feel. You feel me? Yeah. Uh, thanks for being sure. here. Doctor, are we friends enough that I don't have to call you Dr. Uh, Alan Mead everyone, or everyone Dr. I Mead? Meet, I insist that they call me doctor all the time. That's what I do. I just, <laughs> really? Like if, if, hey, you earned that. Yeah, if, if, I, if, like, if I do the drive-thru at Starbucks, I insist they call me doctor. <laughs> no! I'd like to order uh, a tall macchiato. Um, can I get your name, please? <laughs> Dr. Dr. Mead. Mead. Exactly. exactly. Uh, and then when you get up there, they just draw a penis <laughs> on your cup. <laughs> Which, frankly, was earned, to be honest. Totally, this is what you yeah, meant, yeah, right? That was totally earned. I, I'll buy that. I, I can own that, yeah. Uh, yeah. I wish I worked at Starbucks so that I could write yeah. funny shit on people's cups. Actually, that would be Draw that pictures. would be pretty good. That would be pretty good. Yeah. If there would be one place that I would... Like, if I won the lottery and had didn't need a job anymore, like Dynasty money... I'd probably work at Starbucks and just like mess with people for a week. I'd get fired. Yeah. No joke, I'd get fired. But <laughs> worth but it. But how many penises on a cup? How many penises on a Starbucks cup do you think you could draw before you get fired? I'm, I, it, it may depend on the location. Like it may depend on the location. I I yeah, I yeah. I'm saying at approximately San Francisco, you'd be fine. Seventeen. You know? I think seventeen before being fired. I really do. Depends on how. Katrina, how do, you, do you do you have a do you have a prediction too? Yeah, it it depends. How on big? Yeah. And is it right on the side or is it like underneath well, it, on the bottom of the, the cup? Yeah. Where, you, where you'd have to really yeah. look underneath for it to find sleeve. it. Exactly. Is it yeah. subtle That's, or is it humongous? Be... It's that then that changes the number. I feel like I feel like I could probably convince a Starbucks barista to run this test with me. I have like, I don't know, five thousand followers on TikTok and a lot of them are baristas. I wonder if I could get one of my one of my TikTok followers to document how many penises they draw. Except that, and then put on TikTok. They might have to get fired for it though, so that's tough research. Yeah, probably True. worth it though. Hundred percent. You you will always be known as the barista that lost their job because they were drawing wieners on exactly. things. You know. I I think we I think we've just discovered this episode is not going to be yeah. sponsored. <laughs> Katrina was wondering, like, is this a sponsored episode? And like, I was uh, thinking Zoom we said penis about twelve times in the first six minutes. I doubt. Depends, that depends this on is who you're get trying sponsored. to get to sponsor it. There we go. If, oh yeah, you think we? If you think Trojan we've been? condoms would like to sponsor <laughs> us, you can email us. <laughs> Fleshlight. I think. Yeah, I, aren't there a lot yeah. of podcasts that are <laughs> Fleshlight? I'm just saying. Isn't that isn't that what working interferences (laughs) mostly get sponsored by? You could talk to them about this. They they would have some ideas. Yeah, I think Lance Lance and Josh probably have the hookup to flashlight sponsorships. All right, Um, Doctor Mead, Alan Mead, my buddy, the Scat Man. Thanks for being here today. We really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us, and in a very fitting fitting time to talk about uh, some of the seriousness and challenges that we all are facing. And that you've faced in your your kind of your life, I guess. And you said to me when we were texting that you're an open book, and I can ask you mm-hmm. anything. We've already we've anything? already talked about penises on coffee cups, so I feel like we've really we've kind of opened we've opened. The book. <laughs> we're already there. Yeah, we're kind of there. Exactly. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, um, Alan Mead, he. Um, 
you've spoken about yeah. this on your podcast. You've spoken and you've kind of made mentions to it on other podcasts yep. as well. But you struggled with yeah. addiction um, for and you're 18 years yeah, now yeah. clean, right? I'm eight, 18 years yeah. like this month. No, 18 years in January. So I'm 18 wow. and oh, 18, 18 years plus in January. at this point. Wow. 18 plus. That's awesome. So you, you talk about, or you've spoken in the past about how you went through your counseling and how you went through mm-hmm. rehab, but I don't know, and I haven't heard, um, you talk about the before mm-hmm. that, you know, how that affected you in dentistry and your family and, you know, where it all kind of came from and started, if you even know, or if you can even identify, but I'm, I wonder now with covid and with a lot of people being not only stressed and anxious and being home and consuming a lot Mm -hmm. of alcohol you know is that a gateway or are there signs of what we should be looking for not only for ourselves but for our loved ones and maybe even our coworkers. um you know i I just kind of want you to share what you know where did it where did it happen what did it how did it start so i didn't i i before in in the united states you're from canada so i was 18 the drinking age there 21 20, uh, 18 in okay. Montreal and uh, 19 in, in okay. Ottawa. Or in, I remember uh, when I turned 18, we went to Canada to, to go and buy beer. I remember that. And, and like, it didn't work out very well. I, I, I remember that. We, yeah. we just decided not to because it was going to be too hard to get it back across the border. So I remember 18 uh, at that point. But I, okay, so 21 is a drinking age in the United States. You're in Michigan, Michigan, right? You know. So you're just, you're yeah, we, close we were, to Yeah, we were actually Falls. going hiking up in the Upper Peninsula. So we went across at the Sioux. But the bottom line is that like 21 is the drinking age in the United States. And I probably had drank maybe six times in my life before I turned 21. So I was, I was darn close to a teetotaler even through college. Uh, my senior year, I turned 21 before my senior year, so I started I started drinking like a maybe like a college student a little bit at that point. But I was really, I was not, uh, I, I didn't use substances really to speak of until dental school. Like I, my very first, mm-hmm. my very first day, the, actually the night before we started dental school, they now would call it a white coat ceremony. I don't remember it being called that at the time, but like my first day of dental school, uh, I lived in a fraternity house. I lived in the Psi Omega house, and literally like my my Sio friends and we all went out and got got messed up, and I I was hung over my first day of dental school, you know, which is kind of a kind of a fitting thing. That's sort of the, uh, I mean, there's a huge culture of drinking in dentistry uh, that started in dental school. That was, and and I didn't realize it at the time, but like dental school was a huge change for me. I did in undergrad was a piece of cake for me. I did very well in school. I didn't have to try very hard. I didn't have to study very hard and all stuff. And then you get thrown into dental school. You're in with a bunch of people that are, like literally, like you. They were the they were the top of the top of their class, and so everyone's really smart. Everyone did really really well in school, and dental school is a lot harder. And they're also, I mean, it's intensive. Like there are way more hours of school every. Like you literally would go to school from you know eight a.m. to five p.m. every day. Uh, they weren't. I did okay in the in the academic stuff. Like when it came to like memorizing and answering questions, I did fine with that. Hand skills were were something that I didn't have. I didn't know, and, and and no one ever pulled me aside and said, "This is stuff that you can learn." I so I didn't have any coping mechanisms all through college. I I didn't struggle because it wasn't hard. But I got to dental school and I was not I was not a good student there. I was not I didn't do everything didn't come naturally to me. Um, and you so I didn't have a lot of coping mechanisms on how I was going to handle like stuff like that. And literally, I walked in and, and they handed me a beer. You know, like I, I lived in this IO house and they had a pop machine and then they had a kegerator. The pop machine is 50 cents for a pop, but the kegerator was free. 
Like literally that's like, it was so, <laughs> and, and that is a super, like, like we just drank all the time and it was just, it's just what it was. Yeah. So in dental school, I kind of developed a really poor habit of coping. Like that's, that's what I did. And, and literally it didn't take long. I was the guy who's always trying to drag some friend out to the bar when I was in dental school, you know, but I lived close to school. And I lived close to all the bars, and, and, and I went to the University of Minnesota, so like Stadium Village is what they call it, and there are a lot of bars there. I could walk everywhere. I never had to drive. It's not like I had consequences of it. And it was, and I looked like I drank like everyone else, because even at the time, I didn't know that I was using like a coping mechanism. I was just, I was just drink because that's what mm. everyone did. But like in retrospect, I'm like, man, I had no, like when stuff went bad, I only had one, one thing that made me feel better, which was drinking, you know. And so I started by drinking. Uh, it was a lot of a lot of beer, a lot of, but I, I kind of looked like everyone else too. So it's not like it was. It didn't look. I don't think it looked any different than uh, than anyone yeah. else. So that's kind of how I started. Do you think that a lot of other a lot of your other classmates were doing the same thing, but just didn't identify it as? Yeah. Like in the moment, in the moment, did you realize that that was your coping mechanism? Probably no, not, not at all. I mean, no, honestly, you're a dental student. You're a young person. Yeah. Because it didn't look that different than anyone else, too. Like, that's the other thing. Like, how, how do you know at the time with, that you're drinking because you can't cope and you're using it? As, I, I think on some level, uh, if you're drinking because you had a long, hard day, you're kind of using it as a coping mechanism. I, I, I don't know that it's always unhealthy, but I had a really... It didn't take long. Um, I had a pretty unhealthy relationship with it. Like, I, I remember during days in dental school where I said, I know what would make me feel better, a beer. A beer would make me feel better, you know, and that, and that was, sort of, so that was kind of the thing, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't turn to exercise. I didn't, I literally didn't have anything but dental school. Like I went to the University of Minnesota. I literally didn't know a soul in the state of Minnesota. Like, so everything I knew in Minnesota was dental related, was dental school. So I just didn't have, like, hmm. like I couldn't just, like take a couple hours and not be a dental student. It's like everything. I lived in a dental fraternity house. I lived, and so I was sort of, you know, if you can imagine being immersed in this and like not doing well, like like feeling like yeah. like, particularly when it came to the 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 preclinical lab stuff, where you know the first time you ever you know prep a tooth, the first time Hold exactly. A drill. Stories, yeah. I was not naturally good at that. And no one ever pulled me aside and said, you know, this is something you can learn. This is, you know, not everyone's good at this. They never said that. It was They, they graded you the same way they were going to grade you on your practical the very first time you touch a tooth. And and the crazy thing, yeah. I've, I've talked with a lot of people, is like you had a limited number of teeth you could practice on before you were tested on stuff. Like right. So everything that I learned in dental school was that if you're not good at this, you're just not good. You know, you're like, like, like I definitely was... Like they should have handed you like 500 plastic teeth and say, go to town, you know, like, but they didn't do that. It was, it was not like, at least not when I was there. So you were graded harshly from the very beginning. And you always, I always felt like I sucked at everything, you know? So when, when you're thrown into that after doing really well in school and like not having a struggle, it was tough. And I didn't, I, I wasn't prepared to need to cope. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't have to cope like that when I was in school, but I wasn't prepared to need that. Yeah. So through dental school, I really, that's kind of how I, that's kind of how I coped, you know? So did you, did was it like a you had a rough day at school? You'd go home and you'd crack open yeah. a beer, or were there days where you would be drinking throughout the day and going to school? Drunk? I no, I didn't go to. I can't say I never did. There were a couple times when we we'd go to lunch. A bunch of us would go to lunch. We'd have probably more than I can. I can literally know. There's there's a good friend of mine who actually lectures for. He's he's freaking hilarious. He's great, but he'd probably remember this too. as an operative lab, probably second year, 
and and he actually got asked to leave because he was noticeably drunk. The rest of us were just a little bit buzzing. But the reality is that like never happened. We I would drink after school. I didn't I didn't miss class because of because of drinking. I wasn't I missed class because I was lazy sometimes. But it wasn't it wasn't because I was hungover all the time. And I got to tell you that like there was not I was not a blackout drunk. I didn't it wasn't like I drink and not remember what happened last night. It wasn't so much like that. It was just a matter of. I felt better when I had a buzz, you know, and, and so I, and I typically would drink till I had a buzz and then I'd go to bed, you know, that was pretty much it. I was, I was relative, and I was, I was very happy drunk, you know, it's not, I have lots of friends in middle school that were the opposite. They drink and they like to fight and get in trouble. Yeah. I was the opposite mm-hmm. of that. I was always a happy drunk and I always, I always pulled the, uh, I always pulled the Irish goodbye. I was there one minute and I was gone the next, you know, that was kind of my, that was kind of <laughs> my move and I'd go home and go to bed, you know, it, it was, uh, at the time it, it didn't seem it was unhealthy. The way that you say it, it doesn't yeah, seem it, like it, it was, was unhealthy. But at the time, it didn't look like different than anyone else. Because the story is, is like I've come to realize that 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 was my only coping mechanism, and I wasn't coping well. Like stuff was, I hadn't failed at stuff so much. You know, like I hadn't done so poorly at stuff till I got to dental school. So I, and and I, I think back, I'm like literally, I I kind of dental school was sort of like post traumatic stress disorder for me. But that. Honestly, it's embarrassing to say that because, like, it wasn't really that bad. I just didn't know any better. I just didn't, I didn't have yeah. any, like, I, I think to myself of the people who had, who were married or had kids or had family outside of school, that they could have a focus that was separate from school. I'm kind of jealous of them because I didn't have, I didn't have that when I was at school. How, how old were you when you started dental school? I was 20, school? what, 22, probably, 21, and I got out when I was 26. I, yeah. uh, you know, I, so I didn't have. your dad's a, your dad's yes, a dentist yep, too, yep. right? And did you, when you left school, did you go and work yep, with your dad, yep. or came, did you I go? Came back home. What was your What was your exit strategy? <laughs> I had no strategy the whole time. I knew I was going to go back to work with dad, so I didn't have to look for a job. I never, you know, it was always it was always the thing. And uh, you know, I, I did. I went back and worked for dad for a year. Um, I found my practice practice I'm in right now the, the year afterwards because it was a little slow. But but I mean, the story the story everything about my entire career has to do with addiction up you know up to this point because i i came home uh i didn't cope well in dental school but i got through there are people that would probably remember me from dental school and said you didn't seem that bad i'm like well but you know no one really does at the time it's you know but I, there were times second year i was a mess man there are times that i didn't know i was gonna i didn't know if i was gonna come back you know it was like a but I did make it through eventually. They, they kind of want people to make it through. They don't really want you to leave. They kind of yeah. want to make it. So, and I made some decent relationships. There were some good people there. But I, I will say that if they made me king and, and told me how I could develop a curriculum, I would develop a curriculum that was much more supportive than the, than the one that I had. Like I, you know, no one ever told me that it was going to be okay. No one ever told me that you could learn this stuff. I, I To this day, I still think of that. Like, you know, all so, one person could have pulled me aside and said, I realize you have trouble with this don't worry you'll get this Hmm. no one ever said that they just freaking failed me you know it's just like a i don't know it it was i i didn't do well in dental school but i came home and then i was a a young dentist working my dad and and he was really supportive he wanted me to do well and i so i started working there and i learned things from him you know like the story is like i did more dentistry the first day i worked for my dad than i did you know in a month at dental school so like you do learn a lot of stuff quickly that's not an uncommon no, thing. No, not at I all. Mean, you hear you hear people that go to expensive mm-hmm. schools in Cali, 
And like they do three yeah, crowns yeah. before they graduate, had, or they like do one anterior endo and one posterior mm-hmm. endo, and like yep. that's it. And then you're graduated, and you're expected to do endos on on real life humans. Yeah, it's I mean for I, Minnesota, so that like and that's that still seems to yeah. be a problem yeah. right now. Minnesota was that that was a problem, and it was and it was really uneven. Some people just got some people had more work than they knew what to do with. Some people didn't. I will say that if you had family, you'd bring family in and work on your family. I didn't have anyone there, and the the craziest thing right. is. University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, my dad's entire family was like 15 minutes from there, and they all had teeth mm. that needed work on. Had I thought of that, and no one ever told you to, to make sure you had family to work on in dental school, that would have helped a lot. Right. But um, So what was that like going to work for your dad and on the coping and addiction side? I mean, you, you had school that was mm-hmm. your trouble. It was the didactic part that you were concerned about, and you weren't the best student that you were accustomed to. But then you leave school. You yep. leave all that yep. behind you. And you think that you would have been able to, you know, change the way that you were using yeah. alcohol to cope because you had one less well, thing well, to worry did. about. Well, you did. You did because cool. the other thing is. So how did that continue? It's weird to drink alone, by the way. Like when you come home, you come home from school and you get an apartment and what you used to do with your friends is drink. It's pretty weird to drink alone. Like, and I didn't have a lot. I didn't have friends back home. Like I came home to the place that I grew up in and my friends had all moved out. So I didn't know a lot of people. Um, so it was pretty weird to drink alone. And and I don't think, I really didn't drink that much when I first got there, but clearly being a new dentist and feeling like you don't know anything because anyone being honest when they're new, they don't feel like they know anything. You dental school doesn't really prepare you very well for being a dentist. And, And at least at that point, I didn't have to work, handle the business stuff. I basically, I was an associate and I, I, I basically, you know, showed up and worked the schedule. Um, but it wasn't long. I mean, literally less than a year after I graduated from dental school, I bought another practice. But that, that's, I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's the story. So I, you couldn't, I didn't, drinking alone was weird. I didn't have a lot of friends to go, go out drinking with. But at the time, uh, a company called Knoll Pharmaceuticals was, was trying to float a new pain medication for dentistry. It was called Vicoprofen. And it, it, was, uh, it was brand new at the time. It was, and, and prior to that, Vicodin was hydrocodone, a preparation of hydrocodone mixed with acetaminophen, which is Tylenol. And right. and part of it is they mix it with Tylenol because you don't want to take too much Tylenol. That can be bad for you. So, like, the, I right. think the thought process was, well, it'll be less addictive potential. I, uh, Vicoprofen was mixed with ibuprofen. So you get 7.5 milligrams of hydrocodone and 200 milligrams of uh, ibuprofen. And then you could add ibuprofen on top of it. to have, And it was supposed to be great for post-surgical pain. That's great. Um, they would send boxes to your office as samples, and like as soon as that hit mm. the, as soon as that hit the drawer, I tried it, and it was like a lock and a key, and I was off to the races. Literally, like, yes, my. What did that feel like? What did I've I've never had either of those. It's really funny. There's before. opiates are a funny thing because, like, there's some people like you, I could write a script for someone after having surgery, and they said I took this. I took one of them. I just about threw up. I just it felt terrible. I hated it. And and for me it was like it was like Popeye with his spinach, man. It was just the exact right thing. I felt invincible from the get go. Like the first time I ever tried, I'm like, this is what I need. This is this completes me. This makes me feel better. And it was it took no time before I was all in on that stuff. And so, how long? How quickly does it kick in? And how long did it last for? So opiates are like, and and it's different for every person, yeah. but. For you, how 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 did that well, work? Well, okay, so I started taking one, you know, and, and I just, 
I can't remember specifically, but it was when you're taking something parentally, you're taking it through the mouth, it's probably 15 minutes, you might notice something, 15 to 20, depends on. After a while, I would take them empty stomach because it was faster, you know, like it was, uh, um, and, yeah. and so, but it didn't take long, and it was just, like, it was euphoria. I mean, it felt just great. It was like, like everything was better, and, and it was almost no mm -hmm. time at all before I realized it would do that for me. It doesn't do that for everyone. Some people react completely differently, but, but people who are into opiates, they will tell you, man, it's just like, it's just like, they're okay. They're okay then. And, and without it, after a while, without it, you're not okay. You know, without it, everything is not good until you've got it. On some level, there's so much, there's so much, um, the more you take, you get a tolerance for it. So the more you take, the more you need to get that, to get that feeling. And opiates are really notorious for that. Like, like it's one of the reasons that, yeah. it's one of the reasons that people die from it is because the dose that, the, the, the effective dose and the lethal dose kind of become the same. You know, on some, some level, Same. to get the buzz you're looking for, you need to take a lot of it. And, and I mean, everyone kind of, everyone taking opiates, they kind of find that to be the case. It, but the other thing is, is it's it's hard to describe how, like, it'll make you do crazy stuff just just to get it. It was it was like, once I started doing it, I realized that the samples that were being sent to us, which of course we weren't keeping track of at all, it wasn't going to be enough. Like, I, I definitely wanted this in my life, and it wasn't going to be enough. You'd, you'd, you'd fill out the little postcard and then they'd send you more. But it did not take long for me to realize that this was something that I, that I wanted to have all the time. Essentially, it ended up being, that's why I bought my practice. I, I literally, like, I, there was too much supervision. I, I wasn't able to buy the stuff easily because I was, I was the associate at Dad's office. So it's like, I'm... So you, you started getting the samples yeah, at your Dad's yep, office, yep, not at, at your yep, office. At Dad's office. The reason I bought, one of the reasons I bought my office is so that I could be the king of my castle and I'd be able to buy wholesale, which is exactly what happened. Huh. Yeah. So these types of drugs, I mean, I don't, I don't think that they send, they don't send samples like that anymore. You know, they do, they do um, in physicians' offices, although maybe they don't do that now. In I physicians' mean, offices, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't remember. Like, that's the only time I remember samples like that being sent to dental offices. Like, I, I like they, they're very. It's difficult to get like certain brands of toothpaste and mouthwashes, but I guess pharma companies have different budgets. Yeah, and I mean that was that was. Hey, Katrina, you think we could get Aura Pharma to sponsor this episode? <laughs> Maybe. They... Um, I actually I had a question for you, kind of along those lines. What can you describe what it was like um, when you got that sample pack and you've you're kind of on the cusp of? I mean, did you take that first pill to kind of feel what it yeah. try like for, your for patient the patient? Or? No. Yeah, where, no, I, that's, what, the, what was that like? The beauty of it for me is that, like, so many people that I know that, that like, I've, I've known through, you know, whether it was in treatment or whatever, so many people said, I tried it because I had a surgery, I tried it because I threw my back out and they gave it to me and all that stuff, and I'm like... I knew that I knew that this stuff was notorious for for giving you a buzz, and I liked a buzz. And drinking alone was weird, so I'm like, I'm gonna try this stuff. I just I just tried it. It was no it was no more. Than, and, and I'm gonna tell you that this is one of the things that gets me a lot. Um, like like medical marijuana and, and and the opiate the opiate quote unquote epidemic. The thing about it is, is people like me that like drugs that like a buzz. They know. They know. They they seek this out. So when you hear people saying, "Oh my gosh, these poor innocent people," they got, you know, they got hooked on fill in the blank, and it's and I'm like, okay, that's fine, but tell me that that person didn't know what an alcohol buzz was like and didn't know because because mm. the story is like I think there are people out there in the world that really like a buzz, okay, and, <clears throat> and, and in some cases that that's not something that's good for them. That's not something that that I. 
having been in on it, I have a much harder time letting the, the, the patient off the hook on that on some level because I don't think people walk into this knowing nothing. So many people are like, oh my gosh, I had no idea I'd become addicted. Now, mind you, no one ever starts using drugs because they think they're going to become addicted. No one, no one ever does, right. and it's never their fault for that. It may be a poor choice on their part, but no one ever goes in going, yep, I'm going to get all addicted. You know, is it? Were you, were you still drinking while you were taking the prescriptions, or were, like, were you taking prescriptions during office hours and then drinking after office hours? Like, did you even think about what was happening? It's or interesting. You, like, was there a strategy? Because I don't know. I feel like if I were to start taking drugs, I'd need to know a strategy. Well, I'd be like, okay, so this takes 15 minutes to hit. I'm going to have to take it from this to this. And then I'm not going to take it when I get home, so I'll just drink it. But you thought it was weird well, to drink Well, I will home, tell you so this. Drinking, how did that? So when, when I, drinking. Am I became, overthinking yes, are, it? But, but yeah. drinking... <laughs> Drinking wasn't my thing. When I when opiates came into my life, drinking was like, well, that's like <laughs> most. So drinking became most social. Addicts, I didn't drink. That's the crazy thing. When I had other stuff, I never drank. Like I like like most addicts huh. probably had their hierarchy of what they liked. I liked opiates, but if I didn't have opiates, I'd go for benzos. I'd go for Valium because sometimes we we kept Valium at the office for people for anxiolysis. If I didn't have Valium, you know what I really wanted over the years? I wanted nitrous oxide. Nitrous is pretty t- it's pretty really? tough thing to pretty tough thing to take to a party, but but I mean if you're willing to sit in the office alone, that's what I wanted. There's I'll tell you what for uh, for withdrawal, which I had horribly after one when used as much as I did and as often as I did, you'd have horrible opiate withdrawals. Nitrous oxide was the thing. I mean that took it away like mm-hmm. that. The problem is is once you're off the nitrous, then it's back, you know. Um, but I mean, like everyone had their hierarchy. Did you ever do that? Did you ever use nitrous oh, at the yeah, office? Yeah, of course. When I didn't have opiates, I mean, like the story was like my life became. One, over time, it was just seeking out the next thing. And if I didn't have one, I had to find the next, you know. And, like, it got it got nuts. But the reality is, is, like, there's, alcohol was pretty low on the list. Like, I would, and I don't think alcohol was ever really going to help me with my opiate withdrawal. Honestly, now that I think of it, I, it is funny because I, I tell this story and then my wife reminds me. But, yeah, there were always a lot of empty beer bottles. So I guess I did. But I don't, I don't hmm. really... I don't really remember that much. I mean, drinking was definitely not my my focus. It's not like I wouldn't, but even socially, I wouldn't I wouldn't drink very much socially because if you mix opiates and alcohol, uh, it's oh, tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's mm-hmm. they have yeah. a they have a synergistic effect. You'll get messed up. They're both depressants and they'll mess you up. The few times I ever did, it was not good. Like throwing up, not good. So, how was your how was your mental health throughout all of this? Like, were you ever? depressed or were you ever told that you had depression or anxiety like what how did you like in hindsight looking back now i'm sure you can identify some of those feelings okay so when i was in treatment they you go into treatment and first off like i said i was just literally days off of detox so i was not i wasn't feeling very good i was i was kind of a mess and they throw you they just give you a barrage of psychological tests and and i was literally the only person in treatment that was not diagnosed depressed. I I felt like they had made some kind of mistake because everyone else was in a special group for depression and they were taking all kinds of antidepressants. They never put me on that. I, I never tested for depression, right? But clearly, huh. I wasn't. I didn't come in on a roll. <laughs> like, like stuff was not going very well for me. And I mean, my mental health was completely crazy. What the the funny thing about addiction is it's, it, it's how it messes with your life, but also like diagnostically is how you're driven to get it. Like most of my time was spent thinking of how I was going to get the next one. 
Like there was never a time like, oh, I'm okay. I'll just sit here and be high. I'm literally thinking of, okay, I've only got this much. What's the what's the next thing? It's crazy is what it is. It, hmm. How did you function as a dentist? I mean, how did you run a practice and treat well, that's, patients? That's like, where what, I used. What did your Monday well, look like? If you, if you, I don't know if you can remember, but like if you were to say like a week of being Alan at that current state, what did it, what did that look like? I, you wake up Monday morning. You'd use if you had it. Before yeah, you got to oh the yeah, office. For sure. I mean, like there was the, the story is you wouldn't, I wouldn't use before bed because I wouldn't want to waste, wouldn't want to waste it. You know, like I, if I, you wouldn't want to fall asleep while you're high, you wouldn't want to waste it. But in the morning, first thing. Uh, I would use during the day. That's the other thing too. Like people, are like oh, I can't. You know, what was it like when you crossed that line into using? Well, well, yeah, I was using all. It took no time at all. Like I'm like, this is my life. This is what I have. To, I have to have this for. And you know, was I a good dentist? No, but but I will say that I there was never any particular incident where anything horrible happened. But like, I was impaired constantly. Like I never got in the car when I wasn't messed up. And you know how impaired I was I when I was using versus when I was in withdrawal. It was, I was messed up all the time, one way. Or so on some level, I'm not proud of it, but it, it just was what it was. So I would use throughout the day. I mean, I literally would buy, I'd buy stuff wholesale. I'd get 100 tablets at a time. And by the time I was done, I was taking 15 of them at a time. You know, I couldn't keep a bottle of 100 around for like a day and a half. That was nothing. And so I was buying, I was constantly looking for ways to, to keep it around. You know, that's, that's, that's the thing that's, you know, there's this sort of glamorous sort of drug addict lifestyle. The, li- the lifestyle is, shit, I got to get more. What am I going to get more? I'm going to run out. That's a... How much did this all cost? Well, uh, like, you, how much is a bottle when, of 100? I mean, 18 years ago. But Well, if, if you got the how, generic, it was how, probably 28 bucks. It was not it was not horribly expensive. And plus, you know, I had a DEA number, and, and I mean, like, I ordered it wholesale. You know, you just you order it like you would supplies, you know. And you you would think that that's the kind of thing that uh, you shouldn't be able to do, but you could. You know, like, I could go online and order it. It was pretty easy. And you, typically it was... It was like delivered the next day. So it was, you know, basically you're giving a drug addict the keys to the kingdom. I, I, will, I will say one of the funnier things is I was in treatment with a bunch of physicians who were doing the same thing. And they all laughed at me for ordering 100 at a time. They said, why didn't you get 500? Because, you know, then you don't have to order so much. And I'm like, man, I wish I'd have thought of that. You know, so, I mean, like the, the amount of crazy that was going on there. And, and what's nuts is when you get into a treatment program where, for forever, I thought I was the only person that was this messed up. I thought I was the only person that was this desperate. And you get into a treatment center, and all of your colleagues are doctors and, and, and like like anesthesiologists. There's a mess up. You got to figure. All they wow. do is all they do is push a cart around full of the most unbelievable dope ever. So it's amazing that they're not all addicted with the access that they have. But like you talk to these people, and you're yeah, you're just like me. You're you're crazy also. You know, like this is so it's. The seeking of it was, it was, it was, it was all encompassing. It was everything. It sounds like you were constantly like on a scavenger yeah. hunt, yeah. like on your own scavenger hunt. And the way that I envision it is like, you don't, you're not a frantic person. Like you don't strike me as a frantic person, but the way that you speak about how you were then, I feel like I, you were constantly like on a high to a low and frantically yeah. searching while still front facing yeah. to the world and to yeah. your patients trying to be a normal yeah. person. I mean, that's... So there feels like there's so much going on inside your head, but were you calm on the outside? Like, could your patients tell? I think, I'm sure that I, I'm, you know, 
was it a day that I had stuff? If it was a day that I had stuff, I was probably serene. I was probably great to be around. If I was in withdrawal, I basically, I looked like I had the flu and I felt terrible. And I'm sure I was short with everyone. And, and But the reality was, I, I did, I missed a lot of work. I would cancel. When I when I knew I didn't have any, I would cancel. I, I mean, I was I was not particularly responsible, but, um, you know, like it was, it was, it was tough being around me when I was in withdrawal. I bet it was great being around me when I had some, because life's a party then. You know, it was it was it was, it was, it was a huge, like highs and lows of, of and it was all all dependent on whether I whether I was able to to have some or not. You know. So was that, it all opioids? Well, I mean, my preference was Sorry, my preference China. was opiates. I would. Were there any other drugs that weren't prescription that you did I or tried? I did not. I did not. Like I I didn't. It's not like. You didn't have your own dealer that came in and gave you a little bag of no, coke or anything. No, I was. I was just talking. Uh-huh. What's interesting? I never tried cocaine. I mean, that's that. That is not really? that I wouldn't have. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you what. Mm-hmm. I was a garbage guy. I would whatever was in front of me, I tried. But I never had that. I didn't really have any. I didn't have any illegal hookups because I didn't need to. Like I had a DEA license, mm-hmm. and they just deliver it by UPS, yeah, mm-hmm. man. So I didn't. I didn't have to. Um, so it was most opiates were my thing, and I ordered stuff that seemed normal to me, like. I tried fentanyl, but I didn't even know how to inject. I didn't know. I didn't know how. To, I didn't know how to find a line. I didn't know. Thank God, I would have killed myself. But, you know, like so, I would. I would do a big. This is the craziest thing ever. I can't believe I'm saying this. I would do a. I would do it intramuscularly, and uh, so you blow a big huh. bolus of this stuff up in your muscle, and it would absorb slowly, but it hurt like crazy. So I would get anesthesia. I would. I would numb my leg up, and then I would do that because it hurt like crazy. And 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 I'll tell you what, fentanyl is. Uh, I'm shocked that I didn't die doing that. Fentanyl is really heavy-duty stuff. It's really... Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know. I mean, I I, I, I got that from an oral surgeon. Like, I, I, I mean, I, I took it from him. I didn't... This was... There was so much... There was... What do you mean you uh, took it from him? You went to his office and you just yes. snatched it? Yes, he's a good friend of mine. He's, and he didn't... He couldn't well, tell. Well, I think they eventually kind of figured it out, to be honest, because he's the guy who got me into treatment. So he, he kind of figured it out. Mm. But, like, the long story was everything was crazy. There weren't... I wasn't making good decisions about anything. So all this stuff thinking about how crazy this was, it, it really was. It was crazy, but it was, oh, all of it seemed like, I don't know that I ever, I wouldn't say that I ever felt like it was reasonable, but it was what I had to do. Like in my mind, like, oh, I, I, I can't not do this. It was like, you know, you never came to and said, wow, this is crazy what I'm doing. I gotta stop this. It was, you'd get every once in a while, you'd be lucid enough to go, my life is completely crazy. I wish I could stop this. And then you just, you'd put your head back down and go. How long did this? How long did this go on for? So it started in yeah. dental school, well, and then you went. Like, how, did you ever have periods where you would sober up and clean no, up on your no, own? I mean, I tried. Like two, even like a week or two, and you were like, you know, I'm just gonna give it a couple weeks. Did that ever no, happen? I mean, it's really funny. So there were times when I did substitution, where I'd go, yeah, I, I'm gonna go without the opiates for a while, and then I would use. You know what I'd use? I'd use these like herbal. Basically, it was like herbal speed, and and it was uh, and it was it was one of these things where I would just I would substitute something else, but I never really went without. I always told myself I could. The other thing that was crazy is that I would I would say I would buy a bottle and I would then literally open the bottle and I would take little those little coin envelopes that every dental office seems to have, and I would I would count them out and I would say I'm going to wean myself off this, and and it was always a farce because when you're someone like me, you're not. You're not in. This was this was like I'm in control. I could. I was never in control. I mean, I I I was using to get high, and I wasn't gonna stop until I was. And that was just. But but I made attempts at it. And and the scariest part was by the end, I had said, I can't. 
I have no control over this. I'm not doing. I'm going to either die or the DEA is going to come get me. I don't. I can't stop myself anymore. I stopped trying, and that was literally like days before I was intervened on. So, how? Sorry, you go. I've interrupted you four times. So, um, I, I guess I. Uh, thank you so much, by the way, for getting really deep with this, because I think um, what I'm hearing from you, even um, when you were sharing your time um, through the rehabilitation process, yeah. that this is something that um, it, it affects high functioning individuals, bright, talented, very smart people who just really struggle with a lot of these coping mechanisms and 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 to your point, have access to a lot of these, yeah. you know, these drugs to be Absolutely. able to do it. Um, so my question to you is on the relationship side, you were working as an associate with your dad. Mm -hmm. Um, you mentioned, you know, you're married. What did that look like? Did the people, were you married at the time? We don't know. I got married. I got married. I got married married in 2001. I got married on September 8th, 2001. Uh, Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, September 8th. September 8th. So that was the Saturday, the Saturday before a day that we all know, like uh, we didn't, we didn't go on our honeymoon. You might figure. Um, Mm -hmm. we, so I got, I got married, but literally I was, uh, just September 8th, 2001 was when we got married. And that's, I always think about that. Our anniversary was sort of the, that was the slide downhill. September 11th happened three days after that. And I was in treatment January 9th, uh, January 10th of 2002. So that like four month period was like when all this stuff happened. So I was an active addict. Like the dental school thing is sort of separate because I, I didn't, I didn't, I probably looked close to, closer closer to normal in dental school, but I mean, like no one's no one looks normal when you're using the way that I was. I was four years into like an active as an active addict. I started in January of 1998. That's when I kind of first started taking, and, and I went till 2002. Um, so I, about four years, and it, it, it ramped up. Obviously, it started it started less, got to be more, and this is when all the craziness was going on. But I did get, I got married kind of at the end of that time. But I was, you know, we were dating for all that time. So literally, my wife didn't really know. That was kind of like when we got... She didn't really she know did. you, the real yeah, you. I mean, what's funny, though, I have to tell you this. She did. Because they're still... I'm still me. And even when I was using, it's not like... Everyone says, oh, it's a Dr. Jekyll. And it's not really. It's I was messed up. But I also was... I don't know. I, I'm, I don't... The, in therapy and in, in treatment, they always said, your wife doesn't even know you. They'd sit there and they'd tear you down. And, and I'm like, except she kind of does. I mean, like, it, it's, mm-hmm. it, was, it was not as simple as that. Relationships are funny that way. First off, my, they didn't know. They didn't, it's hard to believe, but they didn't know. They knew something was wrong. They didn't know what it was. I had the believing I was narcoleptic and my blood pressure was all up. Mm-hmm. But, like, they were not experienced around. Anyone who knew anything about drugs would know that I was a druggie. But they didn't. Like, I didn't grow up. No, no one in my family had had this kind of problem. Nothing like that. So they were all pretty naive, and so and I pulled it over on them. You know, um, it blows my mind now that I did, but right. I did. You know, and the other thing is, is as as an active addict, all I do to everyone is lie about everything, because yeah. you had to, because the truth was so crazy, no one would have ever bought it. And and frankly, I was an excellent liar. Over time, you get tons of practice. You lie about stuff you don't even have to lie about because that's what you do. You just lie about everything. And I'm not proud of that, but it is, it's kind of how it works. You know, any, anyone, you talk to anyone in recovery, and it's like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what happens. You have to lie about what you're doing because if, if anyone knew what you were doing, it's even crazier. So that was. How, how did you, did you get caught or did you come clean? Like, how did you decide? I was, 
I was intervening. Was the decision made I was for you? It's a good story. So I had I I would uh, I would do anything for a script. I had like a it was a pretty glorified ingrown hair. It ended up being what's called a lipoma on my neck. My my buddy who's an oral surgeon, I said, dude, can you take this off for me? He's like, oh yeah, sure. And and I see, I said, why don't you sedate me? Because in my mind, I'm like, yeah, we'll sedate him. And and I knew I'd get a script out of it too. It's not that big of a deal. So he he um he tried to sedate me, put the IV in and everything like that. And he, and he, oh, he couldn't sedate me. He couldn't and my, get you my, down. My tolerance was so high, and and all of a sudden stuff started falling in place after he saw that. So, and he mm. he confronted me several times, and I dodged it pretty good. But in the end, he actually went to my family, who didn't know what was going on at all. And the day, the very day that they actually intervened on me, my wife was down in Florida visiting her grandmother, just just by chance, you know. So, but they ended up coming in and confronting me. And what's interesting, I told you that I had attempted to stop. You know, weaning myself off and all this stuff, but I, I really had, yeah. I, I stopped trying to stop soon after, you know, or soon before I got intervened on. So if you've ever seen the TV shows where people come in for the intervention and the pay, the people sit down and talk about how much they care and how much they want help, and and then the the, the addict yeah. always freaks out and runs out and is violent. Freaks and everything. out and flies I would have out. made the worst television show ever. They walked in and I was, I'm done, I need help, I can't do this, you know. And, and that was it. And they threw me in the car oh. and they took me to Grand Rapids. You know, oh, wow. like there was literally nothing. Because I had tried to stop and, and I couldn't, but I had never told anyone. I'd never been honest to anyone about yeah. what I was doing. So once people knew what I was doing, I'm like, okay, the gig's up. Maybe I can get help, wow. you know. So it was, I mean, it was a big deal. I feel so bad, too, because it was two hours to the, the treatment center. And I, I, I explained what I was doing to everyone in the car. And everyone's mind was just, brain was melting that I was being, you know. It's two hours of, my, like, I, I don't know that my dad's, I, yeah, I don't know that my dad's ever time. recovered, to be honest. But but that's kind of what, it, you know, it, it was, I was in treatment in Grand Rapids in a place called WEMAC. It doesn't exist anymore. WEMAC stands for West Michigan Addiction Consultants. And it was it was all healthcare professionals, or mostly healthcare professionals. And and there were some other, like, there were lawyers and and. And there were some, you know, there might have been some teachers. There were a few kind of normal people, but it was mostly healthcare people. And uh, I was one of the. Why do you think? Why do you think that was? Why was the facility structured? That's that that's way? how it was. was. It just there, for privacy. Maybe or? there's there's a there's a place in I want to say is it, it's in Georgia. It's called Talbot. It's a real famous treatment center, and it's specific for healthcare professionals. And they have a very specific way of doing things. And this WeMac was based. It was started by a guy who got in treatment at Talbot and decided that they needed another one of these places because there wasn't enough room. So WEMAC was... Is it because you think the integration back into real life would be difficult? Because like you're going back into dentistry and you're around, you're around the same meds. Whereas, you know, if you're some guy off the street using, like you're not, you may not always be faced with the presence of drugs, but you, you know, you still write that script. And I think that could be a trigger for someone going back to dentistry, doing for an sure. extraction, and even writing the word yeah, down, yeah. like, could be... For sure. There, there's something to that. There's also the fact that I was in treatment for four and a half months. So it was it was, wow. it was, it was, it was oh, long-term wow. treatment. This wasn't a 28-day program. It was long-term treatment. My dad covered my office the whole time I was there. It was amazing. Like, just, he was working his office and my office while, while I was gone. It was just nuts. And, uh, but it was very specific to healthcare professionals because they're hard to treat, to be they're, they're much more resistant. The other thing is, is that healthcare professionals are used to getting their way in healthcare. These, you know, doctors, dentists—they're typically the kings of their castle. People don't tell them no. We had, we had the other, yeah. the other kind of people that were there would be kind of celebrity types or, or, or really wealthy people who are 
essentially, WeMac was probably for sort of the hard cases on some level. But also, when you went to WeMac, they didn't tell you this when you were going in. But when you went to WeMac, you were going to be there for a while. You were, you know, it was not, hmm. it was a long-term. Did you know on, on that on that car ride there, did you know how long you would be I don't, I don't remember. They, I will tell you that they got me in under the pretenses that I was just going to be evaluated. That's, that's sort of their, that's sort of their hmm. classic trick. I have no, I have no regrets. I mean, it's like, it, would I have wanted to go for four and a half months? No, but frankly, I'm glad I did. I mean, it's, I will tell you this. Most people that go into treatment, most people that, that attempt to get clean will relapse at some point, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes a lot. I've never relapsed. When I went in, I went in on, what, January, my first clean day was January 10th, 2002. I've never relapsed. I've, I mean, I've, wow. and that's a weird, that's a weird wow. thing. A lot of people go back, but, you know, and, and, and. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I, I've, I've thought that a lot because it's rare enough that I don't think I've ever talked to anyone who didn't relapse at some point. It, it's crazy. Hmm. It's crazy. It's crazy. On some level, I think it's because I never told any. I didn't use with anyone else. I didn't. It was a completely alone thing that I used to do. And then once, once you, once you start talking about it, once you, once you tell people about it, once you're, once that secret is out, you're like, I can't do this. You know, it's like, I, I don't, I don't even know if that's why, but I think that's why. I, I, I don't know why I did. I, I will say too that I knew. Probably eight to ten months after I got clean. I was certain that I wouldn't go back. And you're never supposed to say that you're recovered. But the story is, is like, when I look at it, and I, I ask people this, I'm like, if you could do what you were doing with no consequences, you'd never get caught, and it would never be a problem, would you go back and do it? And I would not, because I prefer, I prefer reality on reality's terms. I prefer, the problem was, I would use because I wasn't handling reality very. And so, like, sometimes reality sucks, but, but to be honest, it's better when it's not altered to me. And that means it's a big deal. Do you, do you remember, um, like, coming back to oh, yeah. practice oh, yeah. and what that was That's like? That's the other advantage. Do you remember your, your first oh, yeah. day? And well, it's even crazier than this. One of the great things about going to a place that's specific for healthcare professionals is they, they plan it so you can go back and, and you can go back in a safe way. We, there was literally a point where like I was probably three and a half months in and, and I was home for a week and I was actually in the office for a week a very um, controlled like you know, a trial very controlled situation almost? I was calling in the, the whole team the other thing is my entire team went to group therapy like they would come regularly down and talk about stuff I still have two team members now that were there when I was in treatment so like this is wow. 18 years ago so they would come in for treatment they, you know, they remembered going through all that stuff and, and so when I went what do they say? What do they say about it? I mean, what did they, how did they? They knew. They, I mean, they, they. Did they confront you or? Yes and no. First off, they liked me. Second off, I was not hard to work for because as long as I was high, I was really happy. But I mean, they, they also liked me. We, we, we did well together. I've, I've literally had, I've talked at the Michigan Dental Association about my addiction. And then the next year, I brought my team with me that was there and they literally gave the talk. Like I, I didn't talk as much and they explained what it was like to be team members of an addicted like that's how that's how deep we've gone into this stuff. Like I think they knew that that it was that it wasn't me. You know, it was it was it was me being sick. It wasn't me being bad, kind of thing. We we hardly ever talk about it anymore because it just just doesn't really come up. Very, which is on some level, it's weird. like I talk. 
And it's like, it's in the past, too. It is, it too. is. And it's, I mean, 18 like years it's... ago is when I got clean. So we're talking 20 years ago is when the stuff was really happening. It was a long time ago. But the yeah. other thing is, is it's like, it's like talking about a different person. Like, it's not, when you think about all this stuff, it's it's so, it's easier for you to talk about because it feels like it's a different person. But yet, I, I do connect to it still. I still connect to it. It's still weird. How did uh, how did your license hold up? I mean, you Michigan. You said Michigan has a cool system. Did yeah. Michigan ever suspend nope. you? Michigan or? has, in a lot of states, do have in Michigan. They call it the health health professionals recovery program, and it literally the first day I was in treatment, the guy who ran the the program. Oh, he was a tough bastard. He was he scared the hell out of me. He scared <laughs> me so bad. He was he was he was about six two and probably three hundred and eighty pounds. Just huge dude. Wow. Huge, big, fat physician. He was, and he was mean. He had a mean streak, and he was, he was, he was not a nice guy. He, I went into his office. I was still like, still probably in withdrawal. I was a friggin' mess. He hands me the phone. He had called HBRP, and I self-reported, not knowing what I was doing. So no I, so, way. you know, you know, when you look back, the consent of that, I could have sued him for that. I'm sure. You can't, you can't sell. Yeah. You can't make me self-report without me even knowing. In any case, I did. I have no regrets. So uh, I was on contract from the first day I was in treatment. You know, like they were... They... Guys, you guys keep going. I just need to use the ladies' That's room. Right. I've been holding it for a while. So I was on contract for, like, right when I got there. And what, what they do is the contract, as long as you're still in treatment and they're ma- managing your treatment, their contract just doesn't really happen. And they figure out the contract after the fact. So... In, in Michigan, if you stay on the contract and you do what they ask you to do, it actually never gets reported to the state at all. So, like, like my, my license was safe throughout that whole period. As long as you follow your contract, you're, you're safe. And, and, you can, and they allow you to practice in a controlled way. In some cases, you're not allowed to write prescriptions or you're not, you, you're, you do random drug screens. You have to do a bunch of therapy. You have to go to meetings. You have to do, there's a lot of requirements. Mm-hmm. For me, it ended up being that, like, recovery just i just did that anyhow it was sort of part of recovery so it wasn't like it was really hard to do the random drug screens were tough it was tough because because uh you know i'd call at five o'clock in the morning every morning and to see if it was my day to go in and then i would go and 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 i'd do a a, i got peeing a cup you know the (laughs) the very first drug screen i ever did when i got back uh into practice i went i'm like okay i'm gonna get this done early i went in there i put my name in everyone knows that you're there for a drug screen the, the nurse who came to get me was patient. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Like, so, so welcome to humility, right? Like, like she yeah, knows, she knows yeah. why I'm there. She knows, and actually, she continued to come to me, and, and we talked about it later. Wow. But, yeah. So, yeah, humility. Yeah. That, one thing about recovery is, like, you are, you are offered humility in a lot of different ways, you know? Right, and it's, right. It is a matter of you having to go, yeah, you know what? This is, uh, if I'm going to agree to do this the right way, I'm going to get a lot of lessons fed to me. It's not, it's not necessarily, yeah. you know, and, and I, 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 I took to that. Okay. Surprisingly enough, I did okay with that. Uh, but it was, there were a lot of, a lot of stuff like that. A lot of weird things like that, you know? Um, absolutely. It, Very humbling. It sounds like, I mean, <laughs> just all of those steps where, um, you know, you're, you're at the top, you are the king of the castle. Yeah. And, and now, um, although it may feel like you've, fallen and you've got people you know um telling you to pee into a cup yep. and go into this room and yep. write this you know what i mean and all those things but still it sounds weird but you you had probably never had as much control over where you were right because it was no longer anymore about like when am i going to get my next fix yeah. or how am i going to acquire these pills yeah. did you find that 
I mean, what I'm picturing is almost like the Claritin commercial where they like peel it back oh, yeah. and it's like clear, you know. Yeah. I mean, did you find that there was a lot more like clarity um, in your life and that you had, you were able to, you know, focus on other, you know, avenues yeah. in your world because of that? It's What's crazy is it is, it is like a fog lifting, like on some level, you, you wouldn't believe how much time you could put into mm-hmm. the seeking and the getting. It's like, God, it took, it took all of my effort to keep the addiction going. I'm not going to say I had lots of free time, but it was, you know, on some level, when you're not seeking that out, I will say that uh, there's nothing like a newly recovering person to be able to fill their time because you go to meetings, you go to, you're doing therapy, you're staying around healthy people. And, and when you're taking it seriously, it really, it really does work that way. But, but yeah. like it's, you kind of, if you put the effort into your recovery that you put into actually the addiction, you're probably going to do okay. And that's essentially what I did. The, the contract was good wow. because I knew at least uh, if you do what they ask, you get to keep practicing dentistry, you know. And 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 so that worked. Um, I had an entire team full of people that wanted me to continue working and being there and, and doing the right thing. So, like, I literally had, not only did I have the, the people that I call for the drug screens and all the support from the treatment center, my entire team knew exactly what was. There was no question. They had been to therapy. They had seen me at my worst. And I know people that have gone through this where the team didn't really know what was going on. And that would be a huge mm-hmm. handicap as far as I'm concerned. Like, yeah. everyone being involved meant that I had accountability everywhere I went. You know, and it was, it was a big yeah. deal. It was a really big deal. So my question to you is, now that you're in this space, and congratulations on 18 plus years, by the way, that's amazing, um, a huge feat, uh, and something that I know you, you probably, you know, wake up every day, and it's, it, I mean, you just, this is this is your normal, you, and you're yeah. very much dedicated, so much dynamic energy to doing this. Um, when you look back at photos of yourself during that time, or uh, I will say, I, I too am a golden gopher, I went to the University uh-huh. of Minnesota, uh-huh. um, and you're like, you know, standing right there on Washington Avenue, you know, you're back in Moose Tower yeah. and you're just like flooded with like, did, were you in Delta Sig? Was that your Sio. Uh, fraternity? Sio. Oh, Sio. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, it, but like, and you're around these people again, like, I mean, are you, where is your heart and soul when it comes to seeing those images or being back in those places where some of these um, habits yeah, started yeah. to form. How does that make you feel now that you're in this uh, kind of different uh, mindset? I, I mean, uh, I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm wildly grateful. I mean, like being able to see this and go, yeah, it was you know, uh, in my mind, like all that stuff was bigger than life. Like all the horrible things. And then you go back to Moose Tower and you're like, it's just a place, man. This is just. A, yeah. this is a, I've been in the clinics. I've yeah. seen my. I've seen my. I've taken courses there for my instructors. Coolest thing ever is when I literally went to the courses. And I explained what, to these people what I had been through. And they're like, oh, my God, I didn't have any idea. It was crazy. So I've actually connected to it, to tell you the truth. Shoot, I took an oral surgery course there a few years back and talked with a bunch. Like, I've spoken at the at the Star of the North multiple times. Yeah. I've given an addiction talk there. I've talked to this. So it's interesting because it's distant enough that I don't think of it that way. It's weird, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like mm-hmm. I, I don't get... There's not euphoric recall for the University of Minnesota. Minnesota was it was it was tough on my psyche, um, but I will say like when I'm struggling, if I'm having a bad day, and I won't lie to you, since coronavirus, I've had a couple of days that were bad enough where if I don't actually think about I don't actually think about opiates. I don't like like if I'm feeling weak, going you know it would feel good right now. It's always a beer, 
Like, like, and that's what, that's mm. where I was in dental school. What a weird thing, you know? That's where it started. And I, that doesn't mean I ever act on anything like that. I don't have to think about that. But, like, your mind will still mess with you. I don't have, I never have using dreams anymore. I used to have using dreams all the time. I, I rarely have them now. Huh. No, nothing worse than a using dream, because what happens is you actually, in the dream, you've actually already screwed up. You never even had a chance to make the decision to not do it in right, the dream. Right. And it's like, yeah. come on, you didn't even give me a chance, you know? Uh, but, <laughs> but like, I don't, I don't have that very much anymore. And I know psychologically, it's clearly there's a lot of a lot of changes that happen over the years with it. But not. since you've shared your story, has anyone come out to you oh, and constantly. said, you know, like how how many dentists would you say that like have come out and and said, you know, I, I've heard your story and I, I have the oh, same yeah. problem. Or I, I mean, I was I was the chairman of the Michigan Dental Association, um, we the committee, Care and Wellbeing Committee, which is basically the committee that, that works with dentists and dental team members that, that have, that struggle with mental health issues, but, but most of it's addiction stuff, you know. So dentists, hygienists, team members, and stuff like that. I was, do, I was doing that for a long time. And there's, honestly, if I'm going to make a wild guess, 15 plus percent of everyone in the dental field is going to experience addiction uh, directly. And, you know, 80% of us are, know someone who has a problem with it or, or more. You know, it's like uh, we're, we're a pretty sick bunch as dentists. I mean, we, I, I know tons of people from my class that are either in recovery or not in recovery but are clearly alcoholics. Which yeah, I mean, like, like, like it's very common. It's very common. And I would say in healthcare professionals, maybe specifically dentistry, it's probably even more common. So constantly. And I've told my story a million times. And every time, like... If you've ever if you've ever given a talk and people want to talk to you afterwards, you think after you give a talk about something clinical and people really want to talk to you, give a talk when you tell your story about this. There's a line because everyone knows someone and oh my god the heartache you know you've got people who literally have children that are in the in the throes of, of heroin addiction and they want you to tell them what they can do to fix the problem. And of course the answer is you can't fix the problem. The problem right. can't be fixed. Do your kids know no. about this? No, and I, it isn't that I wouldn't tell them. Uh, my oldest has autism, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure quite how to. And my youngest is just he's he's ten. He's too I young. He's so. I innocent. don't have a problem telling him, and I think I think I'm going to let my wife kind of lead the way on that. They know that I don't drink alcohol. They know they know that I don't. You know, like they don't know the whole history. And of course, you know, I didn't have my first kid till I was 36. I got clean when I was 30. So I mean, like I was six years clean before I had my first job. They've never even seen anything like that. So. On some level, it'll be hard for them to relate to because it happens so so much before their time. But the problem is they have my they have my genes, so there's potential for them to have a problem too. So you know, on some level, right. on some level, I don't know that I don't know that someone's saying, "Oh, by the way, you have the genes for this. You might want to steer clear of this." There's, I always I always play that game. You know, man, if I had a time machine, I'd go talk to myself and say, I wouldn't have listened to myself. I wouldn't have believed it. No one, yeah. no one who's an addict, no one who has problems with chemical dependence, ever thinks, "Oh my, I put up." This might this might sound like a silly question, but what is the definition of alcoholism or being an alcoholic? There's a lot of definitions. Like, is there is there a definition of like if you use X amount? There really isn't. My, I mean, like, there's a lot of diagnostic criteria. Uh, for me, because I might be an alcoholic. For, for me, now I'm concerned that I might for, be an alcoholic. For me, you're in Canada. There's a lot of... They, Katrina. Katrina's laughing because she's like, I am called the dental wine genist. Well, here's, <laughs> here's the thing. You want to talk about using... The, the story is is that Narcotics Anonymous has a really good way of looking at it. And it's basically any... any if it's, 
if it's messing with any part of your life, if it's, if it's causing problems in your life, you probably have a problem. In other words, are you missing work? Okay. Are you, are relationships wrecked because of your drinking, you're using, are you like, that's when you need to take a look at it. I will say this, uh, if you think you have a problem, if you're concerned you have a problem, you, you probably, probably have a problem. Have problem. But, but the other thing is like, how about yeah. this? If you have a problem, just say, okay, I'm going to take a month. I'm not going to use, I'm not going to, whatever it is you have a problem with. Like if, if you, if the idea of not drinking wine for 30 days causes you to panic, you need to take a look at that. Sorry. is like, could, could you huh. go, could you go without it? Like, cause, cause that's sort of definitional to me, you know, I'll tell you, I have gone for more than 18 years without wine and I liked wine. Mm -hmm. I liked wine mm -hmm. fine. But, I, but I mean, like the story is like, I, 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 I love being sober. I don't like being around drunk people when I'm sober. Yeah. But I love yeah. I love the idea of being sober. And and what's funny is like I am to the point where most everyone knows this about me already. Like it's 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 you know, voices of dentistry. People are drinking constantly. No one ever tries to hand me a drink there. Cuz it's my meeting. Everyone knows, you know? Like it's 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 a funny thing. I kind of owning it makes it a lot better. It's a lot easier for me to go to a place where people are drinking because I'll just leave if it's something that doesn't feel good to me. I don't I I have no pride about that anymore. I did in the beginning. Yeah. I know a lot of people are really can be really sensitive about it, but it's just I don't know. I, I feel like life's better without it, with all without all of it. I, are there times when I miss it? Yeah, because there's, you know, fun, fancy beer and all the different kinds of you know. I was I was I always told myself that I was into that, but the story is like I, clearly it's not worth the risk for me anymore. It's not. It's not. I. Does anybody ever? My this is my my last question. Just saying it. Does anybody ever go from? not drinking or using to drinking socially and being okay. Like, is that ever? Yes. I've never, I've never met anyone that's done that. I think you can. I, my thing is like when I was in treatment, everything was black and white either. You, you can't control anything or you're, or you're perfectly fine. And the story is, but I, are there people who can cut back and drink socially and not have to go through treatment? Probably. I mean, there's, there's, there's some of everyone. There are people who just go into, into remission from it and never really have to deal with it. I was, the way I was using and the way my life was, clearly treatment was the right choice for me. Um, but I think, I think like, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a good way to live. Even, even if you don't have a problem necessarily, it's on some level, it's, it's like a, it's a complication that I don't have to challenge myself. With. Let's say that, mm -hmm. you know, like. Like for right. someone saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm drinking is. too much. Well, you know what? I am sure that I am not drinking too much because I don't yeah, at all. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> like I am sure of that. It's not something I have to worry about, you know? And, and, and uh, I will wow. say what's interesting too, is like, I know that cause I was an opiate guy. I'm like, what if, what if I have to, you know, what if medical stuff eventually I might have to, you know, what if I run into a pain yeah. thing or if I'm like, first off, uh, it hasn't happened. Um, that's 18 years worth. It hasn't happened. But the other thing is, is like, mm -hmm. I have people in my life that, that I could use to, for support. Like if I ever had mm -hmm. to take a prescription, well, guess who wouldn't be holding on to the prescription? Me, you know, right. I, you. I, I wouldn't, yeah. but the other thing is, is like, or guess who would say, look, why don't you keep me in the hospital for a couple more days? And then, so I don't have to leave with this stuff. Well, Make yeah, sure exactly. it's out of your system. There's, if you're honest with people about your recovery history, they don't want to force drugs on you. I will say I had a I had a right. uh, esophageal scope, God, seven years ago, and I was worried about it. And they ended up giving me propofol, which is not a narcotic right. actually, and and uh, there was no euphoric recall. I was, 
They told me to count backwards. I made it two, and, and I was done. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Here I thought, oh, I've got this crazy tolerance. I'm a total drug addict. Nope, I'm, I'm a lightweight now, apparently. Uh, and, yeah. and like, so it just hasn't really come up, although, and it was everything I thought about. I felt like when I was in treatment, like, well, what happens if I need something for medical? I was, I mean, you, you hold on to these reservations, like what, you what happens? And like, these, it never yeah. has happened. And frankly, now I would go to great lengths to not have to do that. You know, it's kind of great actually, yeah. you know, like, yeah. so, wow. uh, and I, it's un, it is less complicated for me that way. I don't think about that very often, but there's something great about it. Just not being complicated. I don't have to make that choice. Huh. Alan, you are this amazing. Is, yeah, thank you for opening You're yourself an amazing up human to, being. Sure. to allow people to learn from what you've been through. Yeah. It's, it's really incredible. For, Absolutely. 100%. For anyone who, who heard this and it rings yeah. true and you're like, man, I don't know that I want to talk to anyone about this. My email address is alan, A-L-A-N, at meadfamilydental.com. You can email me and I'm, I'll keep it. Shoot, I've been doing this for the Michigan Dental Association for years. It's, it's all confidential, only because this isn't the kind of thing that you talk to, you know, with just anyone if you're worried about this stuff. So right. it's like, you know, reach out. That was, yeah. was going to be my, where can someone yeah. reach you, well, other, send you an most email? Most states and probably most provinces also have some kind of program within their dental association. Uh, and they'll do the same thing. They're, they're all real confidential. We were, I mean, everything was crazy confidential. But, like, there, there's always, after talking like this, there's always people like, man, I'm not sure, or, or I have... Or I have a child, or I have a, an uncle, or a brother, or whatever. There's always so just call or email, email alanmefamilydental.com. You know, I'm happy to talk about it. I've got lots of experience with it. Can help in whatever way could help. Well, it doesn't sound like you have any experience <laughs> at all, as as per the yeah, last few yeah, yeah. <laughs> few minutes that we've yeah, been chatting. Yeah. Um, Alan, thank you so much for for joining us. Um, I I. This was probably the most serious yeah. topic we've ever discussed, and I hate that I have to throw at you that we're called Tooth yeah. or Dare podcast for yeah. a reason. And oh, you I remember, remember you did you did you did the Tooth or Dare before, and you accepted a, a tooth. Um, so Katrina and I will do a ver- visually impaired version of rock paper scissors, and then you can decide whether you go up against us or that if we tooth or dare you something. Okay. Um, don't worry, we won't dare you to okay. drink anything. No. If you choose yeah. a dare, no, Justin we won't do Moody that to you. is not here to yeah. even help us with that. And you realize, you realize, Gosh, Moody, Justin. Moody and I are tight, and he never gives me a hard time. He never does. He never does. That's that's. Well, that's, he gave us a hard time, and I think it was because we were kitty cornered to where his yeah. fireball station yeah. was, and we we had done the most interviews, I think, of yeah. any podcast yeah. that was there. Oh we had like twelve episodes. And every episode, every person that sat down, yeah. he would bring. He come over with his uh, all. Sh- I have so many shot glasses yeah. from. I didn't bring any he's, of them. He's definitely Mr. Hospitality. And to say it. that he didn't give me a hard time is not fair because we were throwing things back and forth between, like, like the way that the dental hacks booth and the the implants, dentist implants and worms booth were set up. It was it literally was perfect. It was it was. Oh, you were yeah. across I mean, across. We literally right? spent most of the time <laughs> throwing things at each other. But he didn't make me. He didn't ask me to drink. Oh that gosh. was the story. So. And he wouldn't. Oh, my gosh. All right, Katrina, you ready, girl? I'm ready. On your marks, get set. Rock, paper, paper scissors. scissors. Shoot. Sorry. I They're can't both scissors. Sorry. We did the same thing. Okay. Rock, Rock paper, paper, scissors. scissors. Shoot. Dang it. I, I beat you. All How right. You uh, Katrina. You beat me twice now. I'm on a roll. I'm on a roll. That's Katrina amazing. lost. Wow. Alan, would you like to accept a tooth or a dare, or would you like to dish out a tooth or a dare? What do you choose to do? I, I vote you make Katrina do something because she's making me sing an opera song on Instagram. She deserves okay. a dare. Um, I think 
Katrina needs but. to do a dare. I, I don't know exactly what to dare yeah. her though. Oh my so gosh, this is exciting. Why don't, why don't, why don't you, why, why don't you, because I mean, I was going to say I could do truth, but I've kind of been doing that for the last hour. So yeah, sort of, yeah, sort of no, that. you got to dish this yeah. out. Um, sh- I mean, y- anything she'll do. She'll I do will, anything. I will literally do, <laughs> I will literally do anything. I can't like, yeah, she's got a swimming pool. She's got dogs. Oh, so This doesn't have got, to be something that she does I right mean, this second. No. no, no, no. She does it, and and it goes okay. up on our Instagram okay. account within the next okay. week. Okay, she's in Arizona, so it's like, like the the like the jump in the Hot. swimming pool when it's cold would be great, like in Michigan. But in Arizona, nah. that's a super lame yeah. dare. Like that's a super lame mm-hmm. dare. Yeah, it's like a hundred degrees today. Yeah. So that would actually be very refreshing. Is it really? Oh my gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, man, I, I I wish that I'd prepared something. You can think about it for a second while I uh, think about it for a second while I while I encourage you all to follow us on Instagram. You can follow the podcast at toothredeer.podcast. You can follow me, Irene, at toothlife.irene. You can follow Katrina at the Dental Wine Genist and uh, mash those follow buttons. Yeah. You can you can reach out to Dr. Alan Mead on on his email at Alan at Mead Family Dentistry. MeadFamilyDental.com, but there's also this thing called Mead the Dental Hacks Family Nation Dental on com. Facebook or or the or the Dental Hacks podcast. You can catch me there as well. Yeah. You can catch him yeah. outside. All right. Did you come up with I something? I kind of did, and it's it's sort of fitting, and, and it may seem cruel to her, but I. how long should I ask her to not drink wine? <gasps> oh, yes! Yes! Like it's, it's fitting, and it's like, so like, oh, how how, how long would be a really long time, Katrina? That's the question. Like, do you drink wine every day? <laughs> um, like, I have, like, have a glass of wine, like, right here. I mean, yeah. so then the question is how long? Okay, so I'm going to throw this to Irene. How long is, how long is the dare? Can she make it? I mean, usually we do seven days wow. for the episode to go up, but I'm, I'm happy to make a, I'm happy to make a concession I, You guys, this. okay, so I'm, I'm going to create the dare that she has to go for a period of time without drinking wine, but here's the thing. I'm going to let you guys decide what it is, because I don't know what that is. For me, it was 18 years. I don't okay. think that that's a very fair dare. I'll do 18 hours. How about this? How about this? Katrina, I'll do it with you. <gasps> you will? Uh, Irene, I'll do it with we're you. We're in this together. We'll yeah, do it together. We'll follow good, up and see good. how it went. There you go. Do we want to Do we want to agree on a time right now? Sure. Let's do it. So, well, why don't we do a, why don't we do, how about a two weeks? Wow. Do you want a two weeks? Three weeks? Four weeks? The face. The face. She's <laughs> Two weeks. So why don't we do a one-week check-in so this episode will go out. Seven days from the day of the episode going out, we'll do a check-in. Okay. And then we'll see how Katrina's we feel. Katrina's face is, is, yeah, sorry. Two weeks. Two weeks. We can do it. Not starting right now. Starting, <laughs> well, it could be starting right now, but it's starting when the episode okay. launches. Okay. But, but. I might start early. Okay. How about I make this episode yeah. launch tomorrow? <laughs> can you can you start the episode? Yeah, let's launch it. Let's launch it. Yeah, let's do it. Two two weeks, no drinking wine. And we'll do and we'll do a one week check in. The dental wine genist is not going to drink wine for two weeks. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do so, it for you. So the question is, Alan does Mead. does the dental wine genist then drink beer instead? I, am I the dental, I <laughs> dental white claw genist? The white white claw genist. I mean, I, I, I'm not making the rules. I just I said wine because that's your handle. But there you go. You guys decide. That's all right. Okay. Okay. 
How did I volunteer to do this? Yeah. You, I don't, because you like. I'll do it with you. I will do it with you. you. This is this is for the true team. Bestie, true for the team. True besties, I love it. We'll do it together. Okay, Alan, thanks so much for for hanging out with us. Thank you on this uh, special edition episode, off brand of what we normally do, <laughs> yeah. but I think a very fitting topping topic for for what we should be discussing for what's going Absolutely. on right now yeah. for people to be aware that you know. In times like these, we we use alcohol to cope, and maybe we don't realize that we do. Um, So catch us on our Instagram to watch Katrina and I not drink. Not drinking. Yep. Not drinking. Yep. Um, And that's it for for Irene. What's up? Peace out, peeps. And Katrina, what are you going to say? Not cheers. (laughs) (laughs) I feel uncomfortable saying cheers. Um, Thanks, Alan. Salud. Thanks for having me. Bye. <laughs> All right, so it's time to discuss the details of this dare, Katrina. All right, I let's I, let's I, I am talk very grateful. It. First of all, I'm very grateful that Alan, um, aka the Scat Man, as yes. I called him, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, the Scat Man, uh, shared some pretty detailed things about about his struggle with addiction and, um, yeah. Yeah. I, thanks. Thanks, bro. If you're listening. Thank you. If yeah. What, what a, what if you're a listening to this thing. while you're mucking mucking the stalls uh, in in your stables, <laughs> the last time he told me he listened to one of our episodes, he was scrubbing toilets. <laughs> so I feel like this is this is the quality so of our podcast. Mucking the stalls is that like mucking a Canadian term? Mucking the stalls. That's when you like clean out the stalls of your horses. Is that not what you say in Arizona? I don't know. We. I don't know. I. I never. When heard was the, the last tr- time you mucked a, sco- a, a <laughs> stall? Mucked a stall. I. I never have. I ever mucked a stall. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, you lost a dare, and somehow I got roped into it too. That. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad I'm not alone. You're not doing this alone. So, <sighs> in our episode, we said that there would be no drinking for two weeks. We do a seven day check in and see how we did. And then a full two weeks of, yeah, she's she's yeah. she's stuck. She's sticking her lip underneath her upper front teeth. I like will a, have in a grimace. I will have you know that I just got a notification today that yeah. my wine tasting room that I'm a VIP member of yeah. opens tonight. Right. So, so I, you've got one last day because it starts tomorrow. Oh, it starts tomorrow. Okay. Well, yeah, because this episode is going to go out pretty late today. So okay. uh, I say that I vote that as Tuesday. of... As of, as of Monday, May 11th um, at 11.59 a.m. P.M. P.M. Yep. P.M. Whatever time 12 it is. 12 a.m. 12 12 on Tuesday. Mid- midnight. You and I, the dental whinegenist and I, will... Uh, not abstain abstain yes this is all right how do you feel about when was the last time you went that long without drinking Uh, i mean it was like i mean i mean voluntarily not because you were like on On an antibiotic (laughs) (laughs) like this would be a perfect time for me to start taking my antibiotic (laughs) yeah yeah i I had this like i had this um um like redness it's like a a firm a form of dermatitis around my nose oh um yeah and there's like a topical uh antibiotic cream or there's like an oral antibiotic cream and the oral antibiotic cream cleans it up right away and it was from my mask i was just like so sensitive. but now that i haven't worn a mask in forever the thing's gone so i 
I mean, I could just take now's, antibiotic now's just because, but that, and then use that as an as an excuse, definitely not to take to take a drink. But when was the last time you went two weeks? Yeah, I mean, aside from like taking an antibiotic, like high school. Really. Well, yeah. I do. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I can I probably concur with that. Yeah. I don't think I've ever gone two weeks. Two weeks. Um, two, I mean, like, literally two weeks. Yeah. I, don't. I went to North Korea, and I didn't drink much in North Korea. I had beer, and I don't like beer, so I had, like, oh. the odd beer. Oh. Uh, but I think that was 2015. Hmm. I went to North Korea, and that was that was the last time I did. I went, like, weeks without drinking. Um, this is intense. Okay, so t- we're going to start midnight. And then what we have to do is do an Instagram live. Yes, to say how you feel. But do an Instagram live when it's all released and have our first glass of wine together. Okay. That's what we'll do. If if I want to. I wonder if I'm just never going to drink ever again. All right. Well, then I I don't even know. I don't even know, like, what, what is this I don't all know. for? I might be a different person then. Like, what if think? I'm a completely different okay, person? Okay, let's put in predictions. Like, what if, like, we both lose, like, 17 pounds and, like, I think I will. Our I've hair gained, is, like, glowing. I've gained weight. I've gained weight in this pandemic because of uh, because of drinking wine yeah there's so much even though I drink wine that has a low sugar per liter Mm -hmm. count Mm -hmm. I I mean I still feel like because alcohol makes you feel lethargic and you don't want to get up and do like Mm. sometimes I'm like I don't even walk the dog like I don't Mm -hmm. even want to walk the dog Mm -hmm. walk yourself Lou yeah yeah. (laughs) Lou take your leash and go What do you need? Get out of what here. do you mean you need me to push the button for the elevator? <laughs> Mommy's sober, damn it. <laughs> I have a feeling that will happen. You I think? will be uh-huh. I think it'll be tough for the first couple of days cuz I've been drinking wine like it like, like more than water. Oh, what's, what's water? Okay. I don't know. So I, I do jazzercise as as one may know. And yeah. you, I mean, your body's like that high intensity cardio, your body's like, per, I don't know, I, my temperature's like so crazy that I'm, I do drink a lot of water or like hydrates. Yeah. I don't, I, but I will say, um, I, I, I wonder if like my skin will like lay better. I won't have bags under my eyes. I'm doing Probably. predictions right now. I won't have Probably. bags under my eyes. Um, my Darby won't look at me with his judgy face <laughs> because <laughs> he judges. Yeah, I feel like my skin will be better too. I you think. Yeah, I feel like it'll be better. Okay. My skin has never been better, actually, but I think it will get better. Yeah. Because yeah. of the mask situation. Do you think we'll sleep better too? Like, I feel like you know when you like drink like one glass too many and then you wake up in the morning yeah. and your tongue is stuck to your palate and you're like, mm, I hate this. Yeah. Um, maybe it yeah. won't be like that. I don't know. No. I'm trying to be I, like the optimist I, I and see on the horizon. Wake this up positivity. in the middle of the night and I have like a liter of night water. Night water. The, night water. It's on the corner of my bed. I yeah. think that's just I think that's what the kids call it, but it's actually just water that sits on your bed. Like, there's nothing magical in it's, it. It's water for it's just water. for drugs that need it when they wake up in the middle of the night and they have yeah. cotton mouth. And I and I only came. drink through a straw, so I have oh, a straw Lord. on in my night water so on the side extra. of my bed. So I wake oh up in the middle God. of the night and it's so dark and I can't see anything because I have blackout curtains. Oh and my I just, like, God! I just worse. jab myself in the gingiva with my straw. Your palate has like a little like blood on my pillow. <laughs> what is happening? It must be my night water, damn it. Oh, all right. Okay, oh. well, everyone tune into our uh, Instagram to yeah. watch Katrina and I report on what's happening with our bodies after 
yeah. s- abstaining from alcohol for two weeks. Um, We're going to do it. And yeah, so I don't know how you're going to sign this off. I'm going to just say peace out, peeps. Um, Are you... I'll cheers to you in 14 days. <laughs> not, not, not cheers. <laughs> not cheers for now. <laughs> okay, bye everyone. Peace, peace out. To you all, Alan uh, is a fellow podcaster. You know him from Voices of Dentistry. He has a podcast called The Dental Hacks and a bunch of other little spinoffs. And we just lost him. We just lost Alan. Did he go away? He just left. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That was a very short episode. Thanks so a lot, Alan, for tuning today. in. Cheers. It was so nice talking to Rock, you. Rock, paper, scissors, Until go. next time, peace out, peeps. <laughs> Will somebody sponsor this episode? Well, that was um, a dynamic. It was short. It was short oh, and he sweet. He's back. He's back. That was, He's back. That was a very short and was sweet that episode. Do you think? I don't know. Oh Lord. Uh, 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 <laughs> I, I don't know what's happening. Apparently, Zoom crashed on his computer. People just don't want to hear Alan speak. Mm, um. Do you think that Zoom has a virus? <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> all right. I'll be here all night. Don't forget For to a second, there is. <laughs> That's what uh, he I don't know. said. That's what she said. challenge though because you're like you you are a still speaker it's like we don't know so if you could just like wacky waving arm flailing inflatable tube man yeah can you just like move your body a little more so we know what you're doing just wave the whole time i don't know something get a bubble machine in the background just something to help us know that would be really helpful (laughs) i'm the scat man that's all folks (laughs) 